Mariah was just saying. Literally the title of what I said, The Orphan Mentality and the Trailblazer. Orphans have no parents, right? That's what, an or that's what makes an orphan an orphan. They have no parents. They've been abandoned. For those of you who don't know, I've, worked, I've lived in Haiti for a few years. I lived in Brazil for some time. And all I did in those nations was I worked with women who prostitute themselves. I worked with drug addicts. And I worked with street kids. Now, in Haiti and Brazil, there are kids all over the street everywhere. And we can't imagine that here in the U.S. because if you saw a five-year-old out on the street, right, what would you do? You would call the police. Where's your parents? What are you doing out here by yourself, right? Well, in Brazil, the, the five, six, seven-year-olds are by themselves, been abandoned by their parents on their own to fend for themselves on the streets. And they're begging. And people just walk right by them, right? How, how intense is that? That'd be like any of you here in the front row just having no parents, no family, no one to care for you, no food, no clothes, out on the streets. And in Brazil, what they did in Belo, the police used to go to the spots where these kids were, find them, take them outside the city, and kill them. Reality, okay? That's what's going on in the world, different places, okay? They would take the kids outside the city and kill them. Do you know why? Because they said, all of society said, when these kids grow up, they're going to be the prostitutes, the drug addicts, and the gang members of our society. So we might as well take care of them now because they have no one to take care of them. There's no place for them to go, right? So, so YWAM, if you've known of YWAM as Youth with a Mission, huge mission base, they created several houses uh, for these kids to come in and live. But the thing is, there are different characteristics of orphans. I mean, think about it for a second abandoned by your parents or you ran away because of abuse to the streets, what type of things do you think those kids develop? What do you think? They have to protect themselves, right? Even the police, the good guys, who are supposed to be the good guys, are out to get them. So they've developed all of these defense mechanisms, all of these walls to protect themselves from anyone and everyone. It does not matter how much you say you love them. It doesn't matter if you're saying, come, we have food, we have clothes, we have a house, come, come inside. They'll come in for one night and they'll be gone 24 hours later. Why? Fear. You can't trust anyone. Levels of trust have been broken that they cannot trust. Their parents abandoned them. The police, the good guys in the, t the city are out to get them, to kill them. So you have five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds fending for their lives, fighting to stay alive. So how easy do you think it is for an orphan in Brazil when someone says, I love you? How, how easy do you think it is for them to say, Oh, yeah, I believe that. Impossible, right? Don't, can't you see how that would be impossible for an orphan to believe that someone loves them? The parents, the way God designed family, our parents were meant to love us well. 
That's how family's designed. And of course, as we've seen today, so many of us grew up in broken families, right? Parents who left, we've been abandoned. Our parents were not the greatest. And even if you had the greatest parents or good parents that stayed, they're still not the greatest, right? They still mess up, they still fail. The Bible says that we were all orphans before knowing Jesus. Do you get that? The Bible says that you were an orphan and I was an orphan. It actually doesn't even matter what type of family you came from. You could have come from the best family, the best parents. And the Bible says, Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as, I want to hear you loud. I won't leave you as orphans. He was painting a picture. In Romans 8, he says, uh, Paul is writing to a church and he says, the spirit of adoption comes on the sons of God. Adoption. We, as we've gotten saved, have been invited into the family of God, which is what? The church. The church is the family of God. We are no longer orphans. But just in the same way that these kids on the street in Brazil, they couldn't just easily receive. I heard of so many adoptive parents. I wrote a book on it. It's in the back. (laughs) An entire book on this mindset and examples. Parents that adopt orphans, real orphans from Haiti. In Brazil, you know what they say? They, they thought this idea like, oh, I'm going inv- to bring them into my home. They're going to be part of our family. I'm going to give them food and clothing and a place to stay. And they're going to love me forever because we're providing for them, right? Doesn't that sound like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, bring a kid off the street, put them in your home, give them a bed, give them a shower, give them clothes. Doesn't it sound like, oh, every kid, every orphan kid would want that, right? But what did we just say? These kids don't have capacity. They don't even understand what that means. So bringing that child, that six-year-old, off the street into the home does not change anything inside of them. Does that make sense? The external situation has changed. The internal situation is the same. They are still that same child with tons of defense mechanisms built up to protect themselves because they had to. Because their whole life taught them that they needed to protect themselves from all those around them who were out to harm them, who had not, did not have their best in mind. In the church, we are the same. Guys, we have been adopted into the family of God. When you get saved, yes, there is a level of change that happens. But how many of us know, even longtime believers, how many of us know that it is a process of transformation? It is a process of transformation. There is a renewal of the mind. We have to allow God to teach us what it looks like to be sons and daughters. Because we have a lifetime outside the family learning to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves, because there's nobody out there who's for us. So I've got to be for me. But the difference is we've been invited into the family of God. And you know who's for you now? Your father. And if God is for you, who can be against you? He is for you. 
And the reason why I felt so compelled when it said the orphan mindset, we all think like orphans. God needs to touch our minds. He needs to show us where we have all of our walls up, where we're ready to fight anybody who's coming at us because they really don't have the best in mind for us. This weekend is about being trailblazers. Do you think, do you think that you can be a trailblazer with an orphan mindset? You can't. You can't, but the good news is you're not an orphan anymore. You do not have to think that way anymore. You don't have to act that way. You don't have to protect yourself anymore because God loves you. He's brought you into his family. He is the father, and he protects you. All throughout his word, he says, I am your protection. I am your provider. I am your, uh, the father who loves you. He is a father, guys, truly. And he, we must let him love us. If we don't let him love us as trailblazers, do you know what will happen? You get saved and you say, yes, I'm going to go do something for God. Kate was saying it in her testimony. I'm going to go do something for God. I'm going to pave a way for God. You know what happens when you try to do that as an orphan with your orphan mindset? You get burnt out. You're going to get offended at God, and you're going to give up because you're working for him just like an orphan would work for a handler on the street. There has been a, a, a transaction that has taken place, a legal transaction. When you, just like, okay, natural adoption, right? Someone gets adopted, what happens? Papers get signed. They are now legally part of a family, right? That's what happens. When, as a believer, when you get saved, there is a spiritual, legal transaction that happens. You are no longer an orphan. You're part of a family. So when we're, when we're thinking like orphans, it's only because of habits. It's habits we've created. It's a lifestyle that we've been living in, and now, but there's a transaction that's taken place. You're in a home. You're in a family with a father who loves you, and he says, come, come. There is a feast at this table. You have full access. You're not an orphan anymore. You don't have to beg. When I lived in Haiti, we would be going down the street, and kids would be begging. They'd be trying to wash our cars from the dust. Why? They're begging for money. They're trying to work because they have no one to provide for them. That is the reality of some kids in the world. Do you realize that? That's the reality. We are not of that manner anymore. We don't have to beg. We don't have to beg. Come into the house. All that he has is yours. He loves you. He loves you. For no other reason than that he is love. It's not something that he does. It's something that he is. It does not stop proceeding from him because it's not an action that he's choosing. It is who he is. The Bible says God is love. It's who he is. He doesn't have to try. He doesn't work at it. He's not like, wow, today I'm making this hard choice to love Craig. It's so hard. I, I'm going to choose to. No, God is love. Craig wakes up in the morning, and the Father spills over him with love because that's who God is, and Craig's his son. 
Craig's his son. That's what it means to be part of the family of God. It's, it's not religion. It's not, these services are awesome. Our time's gathering together the presence of God, right? But the, the, what coming into the family means is even way more than just this. It's way more than just this, guys. The reality that we step into is we have an everlasting love. It doesn't matter how much you mess up. It doesn't matter what happens. The Father loves you because he is love, and you've been adopted in. There's been a legal transaction. It cannot be reversed. You're in the family. You are in the family, and you bear the name of Father. In the spiritual realm, you're marked by the Father. You're marked as sons. Do you know how the spiritual, we were talking last night about how the spiritual realm is much more real than this natural realm. Do you know how you're seen in the spiritual realm? Do you know how you're seen? It's not how we see each other. You're seen differently. Liana, when you're seen in the spiritual realm, all of heaven says, daughter of the king, daughter, beloved one. But you know what happens is the enemy knows that we have all these habits and ways of thinking and doing. He traps us in them. That we feel like we have to work for something. We feel shame. That's why that song was so powerful. Check your shame at the door. It's not welcome anymore here in the Father's house. Woo! Guys, check your shame at the door. Leave it at the door. It's not welcome anymore here in the Father's house. His blood has covered us. We are shame-free. We are shame-free. We're loved. Can you think with me for a minute? I, I, I want to get to some scripture here. Can you think with me? Who's a great trailblazer? Who's the, in the Bible, can you think of anyone who's like the, the best trailblazer, the most prominent one you could think of? Paul was a great trailblazer. That's not who I'm thinking of. Moses was a great trailblazer, not who I'm thinking of. Not who I'm thinking of. Great. <laughs> who prepared the way for Jesus? John the Baptist. His whole calling was to prepare the way. What is a trailblazer? You're preparing a way. You're blazing a trail. You're removing things out of the way. Right? Okay, Matthew 11. Pretty amazing, right, that John the Baptist was called as a baby, we're, what were we talking about all last night? Calling, destiny. God has a plan for each and every one. John was called to prepare the way for the first coming of the Messiah. Whoo! Let me hear an amen. <laughs> but seriously, think about that for a second. Can you imagine Growing up and then knowing that God has called you to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, into the earth. What? I can't even imagine that. Jesus is coming. He's been prophesied for thousands of years. And one man, God called him to prepare the way. 
for Jesus to come. Amazing. And you know what we all are? We are John the Baptist. We as a company of people are preparing the way for what? The second coming of our Savior. He's coming again, guys, and he's welcomed us in as his sons and his daughters, as his family, as a company of John the Baptist to blaze a trail to make way for the King of Glory to come into the earth. And as we function as sons and daughters, we only can do that knowing that we're loved by the Father. We're fully accepted by him. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist was about to be beheaded. He was in prison. Okay, that's where his calling got him. In prison, about to be beheaded, killed because of his calling. And Jesus had been out. He'd been doing signs and wonders. He had been ministering. And John the Baptist had some disciples, and he sent them to Jesus. He said, go ask Jesus if he is the one that we've been waiting for. Right? Because John knew his whole mandate, his whole calling was to prepare the way for the Messiah. So he said, go ask him. You know, he's in a tough place. He's in prison. He's about to be killed. And he's like, you know, that's a that's a intense place. And so John's, John's disciples go to Jesus and they say, Are, John has sent us. Are you the one that we've expected or should we look for another? That's what they asked him. Are you the one we've expected or should we look for another? And Jesus responds to them and he says, tell John this, the blind see, <laughs> the lame walk, the deaf hear, and blessed is he who is not offended by me. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. John's disciples leave to go tell him. And Jesus turns to the crowd, crowds and he says to me, he says to me, <laughs> he says to them, <laughs> that's how I read the word. He says to them, he says, he starts talking about John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And verse 14, if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was, to ha who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is the important part. Listen to this. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang the dirge for you and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. The Son of Man came both eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is, not, uh, is vindicated or justified by her deeds. So what is Jesus saying here? John the Baptist, does anyone know where he was and what he was doing? Where was John the Baptist most of his life? 
Yeah, desert, wilderness. He was in the wilderness. Does anyone know what kind of clothes he wore? Camel skin. Do you know what type of food he ate? Locusts. What kind of life is that, right? Living in the wilderness, dressed in camel skin and eating locusts. And he was fasting, and he wasn't drinking. He lived this this set-apart life. And you know the crowds went to him in the wilderness to get baptized. He was doing a baptism of repentance. But you know what the world was saying to him? That he had a demon. When it said, Jesus is calling them out, and he says, you're acting like children, saying, we played the flute, and you didn't do what we wanted you to do. Basically, you didn't dance when we played the flute. You didn't mourn when we played the dirge, which is a funeral song. You didn't do what we wanted you to do. That is the calling of the John the Baptist. That is the calling of one who prepares the way. It's this consecrated life set apart to God, and oftentimes you'll get rejected. Oftentimes, People won't like what you have to say. Oftentimes, you're going to look a lot different than all your friends at school and all your friends wherever you go. You're going to look much different than them. Do you think as an orphan who's lived in rejection their whole life that they they would willingly sign up for that? Yeah, send me to be rejected. No. They couldn't handle it. They wouldn't be able to handle that type of rejection because all of their defense mechanisms would come up again. All of their ways of protecting themselves, their minds and their hearts, would come up again. They couldn't handle it. We are called as sons and daughters to be trailblazers, to be like John the Baptist. To pre- we are preparing a way, guys. What do you think we're preparing a way for? God is coming to the earth again. This is reality, and it's exciting. Think of even the smallest amount of, of joy you felt together as we were worshiping in his presence or, or just a touch from heaven. That is like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the fullness of God. Think about when he comes and pours out. That's what we're preparing for. When we worship, when we gather, we're making way for the king of glory to come in. We're saying, here we are, God. Touch down here. As your children, we're preparing a place for you in the earth. A habitation for you to dwell here in the earth. You will not be able to sustain the calling without the love of the Father. That's exactly what Josiah was saying. He could have preached the whole thing. That's pretty much everything he was saying. You will not be able to sustain your calling without the love of the Father. Do you know what every orphan looks for? Attention. They're looking for attention because attention makes us feel valuable. It makes us feel desired. When someone pays attention, you know, remember last night someone called out your name? How did that make you feel? 
maybe uncomfortable at times, but, <laughs> but overall, how did it make you feel? God was giving you a word. He saw you and he called you by name. That attention was like, whoa, he sees me. He knows me. Oh, my gosh. That's what orphans are looking for, even in the natural. The kids at the orphanage I directed, they would just do things. They would clean the kitchen. They would do everything they could to get attention. Because Why? Because they didn't have it growing up. They didn't have it from their parents. So they crave it. And we are the same way as new believers in the household of God, still functioning with this orphan mindset that says we need to fight to be seen, fight to be heard, fight to be known. And that your attention, the attention of those around me, feeds that place that I'm designed with. Do you realize that God designed you with a place inside that m- is meant for to crave attention? That's not from sin nature. That's how God designed us. The difference is that we're so often looking for it from other people. We're looking for it through fame in the Christian church. We're looking for it from the accolades, from people to tell us how awesome we are. That's what Josiah was saying. Remember he said, has anyone ever just, what did, how did you phrase that? Has anyone ever just, uh, you were saying spoken well of you, but you used some sort of slang phrase. <laughs> Eeked out. <laughs> geeked out. Geeked out. Has anyone ever geeked out over you? Right? That attention makes us feel loved. When someone's like, yeah, Elijah's so awesome. He's the coolest. I love him so much because he does this, this, and this. It's like, yeah, wow, I feel loved. Someone just geeked out over me. But you know, and that's good. That's fine. But you know what? That can never be satisfied by people. (laughs) It can't be satisfied. We need to be satisfied in the love of the Father because God is calling you as a John the Baptist. And if you're not satisfied in his love, the love of people is not going to satisfy you. And it it won't always be there. It won't always be there. There'll be seasons of time where you're pushing and pressing in. And the people around you hate you and reject you because of the calling. But you know, the good news is we have a father who is a never-ending source of love. And he's constantly, always ready and willing to pour into you for you to drink at whatever time you want and need. Drink of his love. The reason why we don't drink of his love is oftentimes because of shame, because of self-condemnation, because we think that he's not willing. God is willing. God is willing. He's like, there's a constant river of love that is never ending. If you're thirsty, come and drink. All who are hungry, come and eat. Fill yourself with what is good. Fill yourself with what is good. And that will sustain you in any season of your life. We must have it. 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. The only way we love is because he first loved us. 
the only way we can love, the only way we can walk in love is when we first receive his love. That's why what Kristen was singing at the end was so important. I'm going to let you love me. That's all that he wants. It's simple, guys. It's simple. But as orphans, we're pushing back constantly. No, I'd rather not just sit here and let you love me. I'd rather do all these things to prove that I'm worthy of your love. That's what we do. Let me prove to you that I'm worthy of your love. Nothing you do can prove it. We're not worthy of his love, period. None of us. It's only because of the blood of Jesus that we're worthy of his love. And anyone, anyone who has given their heart to Jesus and, and given him lordship in your life, you are now covered in the blood and you are worthy. You've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus to receive the love of the Father at all times, in every season, in your highs and in your lows, in your good times and in your bad times. He is ready to love you. For myself personally, I, I grew up in a, a family of 12 children. My dad left my family when I was eight years old. Uh, siblings of mine went to the streets, became drug addicts, were in gangs. Lots of stuff broke out, right? As a kid, I felt called to be like a John the Baptist. I didn't even know what that meant. I had no idea what that meant. But I continued on. I, when I turned 18 years old, I joined a ministry. I was an, a full-time missionary in New York City working with uh, homeless and addicts. And do you know what was so good and bad about that? <laughs> it was good because I learned something. Bad because I went there as an orphan in all my orphan mindsets, ready to be a John the Baptist and pave a way for the Lord, pave a way for his coming in New York. But I was an orphan. And you know what happened to me there? My journals from my six year there, six years I was there. You know what my journals, if you read them, it was like, I'm in a wilderness. This is so dark. I'm in a dark season. I can't hear God. He's so far from me. Like literally every single page. But that was because, not because that was God. That was because of my orphan mindset, the way I viewed God. There was a moment in my life where all of a sudden I realized I had put myself in my own wilderness. I had put myself in my own darkness that Jesus the, and the Father were standing there saying, Wesley, we're right here. Come. Come and drink. You don't have to punish yourself to look more holy because that's what I thought. <laughs> I thought I looked more holy. I thought I looked more set apart if I was always saying I was in a wilderness. Josiah knew me in that time. <laughs> Crystal knew me in that time. Well, I was constantly in the warfare. It was always warfare. Constantly suffering. But, but truly, I felt suffering. But it was me bringing my suffering on myself. There are times that we, we face suffering with the Lord. That's promised to us. But there is a difference when we bring suffering on ourselves because we think it makes us look more holy. When we think it makes us look more Christian. No. We face suffering and we can tap into a never-ending source of love. 
of goodness, of joy, of peace. That no matter what season I face, no matter what the rejection I face, I'm steady. But if you don't have that love in your heart, if you don't know what the Father loves about you, I mean, I might, that might even be foreign. I, I teach classes on the book that I wrote, and one of the first things that we do is I say, you know, ask the, ask the Father right now, what does he love about you personally? Do you know every single person that does that is like, I can't hear him, literally. I, I have no idea. I've never been asked that question before. What does God love about you in all I mean, I'm doing the class in Brazil, in Canada, in California, and they're all saying the same thing. That's a problem. That's a problem. We're all walking like orphans. We don't even know how to hear the Father say what he loves about us personally. Not just corporately, personally, individually. He loves you. And there are millions of things that he loves about you can't even be counted. You know what Psalm 139 says? The thoughts of the Lord towards you are precious. They outnumber what do they outnumber? The sand of the seashore. For you personally. The thoughts of the Lord toward you, Brennan, are precious and they outnumber the sands of the seashore. And they're all good. Yeah, so many times we think, oh, crap. He sees all the bad in me and he is just thinking, wow, what a mess. That girl's a mess. That guy's a mess. No, it says they're precious. They're good. They're loving. So it's not even, I'm trying to teach people to think of one thing per day. We can't even think of one thing. We can't even hear him say one thing per day. I, had, I taught this class in Canada once, and you know this woman came to me weeping, and she said, Wesley, you said that God tells you something every morning that he loves about you, because that's a habit that I have. I wake up and I say, God, what do you love about me? I need it. <laughs> and, and he wants to tell me. I'm telling you, uh, that's not weird. We should be doing that all day, every day. He wants to love us. So I wake up and I say, God, what do you love about me? And he tells me what he loves about me. And I start my day with, oh, I'm loved. Right? That's a good start to your day. That's a good start to your day. And you become a less annoying person to the world when you're loved by God. <laughs> you really do. The reason why we judge others, the reason why we're critical, the reason why we're heavy all the time is because we're not practicing receiving his love. It's because it's we're not letting him love us. When you let him love you, you become a joyful person. You walk out of your, your, your bedroom in the morning and you're like, welcome, hello world, I'm here. The Father loves me. He loves my voice. He loves my personality. He loves my jokes. He loves my smile. He loves my hair. He loves the way I walk. He loves the way I speak. He loves when I do this, when I talk. He loves me. And I walk out full of joy, satisfied, finally satisfied, fully satisfied. And then someone says to me, wow, you're really annoying. And I'm like, nah, maybe to you, but the Father loves me. He enjoys me. I, I, 
don't even care if you think I'm annoying because my father loves me. But that's the difference. An orphan, someone says to you, you're annoying, and you're like, oh, I'm annoying. What, what do I do to change? I need to change. I need to change to be like someone else who's not annoying. And then we put all these walls up to be different. That's why in worship we just stand still. Like, I don't want anyone to notice me. I don't want to do anything different that will make me look weird. But when you're loved by the Father, you don't care. You just don't care. You don't care what people think about you. You'll just jump up and down and say, Whoa, I'm loved. I'm loved. I don't care what you think. It is freedom. So this woman in Canada, we were, she came up to me and she said, Wesley, you said, she's weeping. She said, Wesley, you, you said God says something to you every morning that he loves about you. She's like, I can't, I can't even hear this whole class. I've not been able to hear one thing. And I, I felt for her and I said, oh my gosh, do you, do you know that he has actually thousands upon thousands of things he could tell you every day? And they're all different. Can you, I mean, we can't even fathom, we don't love ourselves enough to even fathom how many different things he loves about us. We can't even fathom that. She wept. And her story was that she was married to a, a, a guy who was very verbally abusive to her. He just told her all day, every day, how awful she was. Oh, you're ugly. You can never do anything right. You know, when you're, when you're receiving that all the time, right? And we receive that from different people. We can receive stuff like that. You're just constantly being told how awful you are. You never measure up. You're never going to be good enough. That could be from other people. That could be from our own minds, right? We, we self-condemn as well. And so, yeah, and the devil too. The devil's accusations against us, trying to keep us in this loop that we'll never be good enough. We'll never be enough. We'll never be enough. And when we listen to that, when we just keep paying attention to that thing, yeah, it's going to be really hard to hear him say, you're enough. You're beautiful. You're perfect the way that you are. You're perfect the way that you are. We began to pray for her, and uh, in a moment, God broke something over her. She heard the Lord for the first time tell her something that he loved about her, and she was weeping in joy. That's what the Father wants to do, guys. He's not harsh and mean. We truly have a good Father, and you must you must understand this if you want to be a trailblazer. You must understand this. You cannot do it without it. John the Baptist had it. Jesus had it. They knew the love of the Father, and because of that, they could do anything. They could do anything. They could go anywhere. It didn't matter what people said. It didn't matter how people responded. People hated John the Baptist. The religious hated John the Baptist. Did he care? No. He kept doing what he was doing. He didn't change one bit. Why? He knew his identity. He knew his calling. And he was focused straight ahead. Guys, we m I can't emphasize it enough. You must have it. So we're going to just take a moment right now. We're going to take a moment. I want you to ask God what he loves about you. If you have um, something to write on or a journal or a phone, just close your eyes for a minute and just ask him in your heart, Father, what do you love about me? 
Father, I just pray you for it right now, that you'd wash over us with your love, that you would wash over this room with your love and your affection and your attention. has to be more than just a one-time thing, guys. It can't be like, oh, I'm going to hear him say one thing today and it's going to sustain me the rest of my life. No. He doesn't even want that for you. He wants you to hear over and over and over again. Landon, he has stuff every single day to say to you over and over and over again. It never ends. You could literally ask him all day long. You could literally ask him all day long and he would tell you. He would tell you thing after thing after thing that he loves about you. I love your hair. I love your toes. I love your stinky feet. You know, the first, when I first started doing this years ago, the first things that the Lord told me that he loved about me were all about my physical appearance. And, and you know what, why that was? Because I hated the way I looked. I really was, I, I thought it was very ugly. A and, you know, these are internal things we, uh, we can all struggle with in different ways. But I did. I was like, my nose is too big. My teeth are crooked. Oh, God, why me? Like, why did I have to look this way? I, there are so many beautiful people in the world. I was just believing tons of lies. So when I first started this and first started saying, God, what do you love about me? I'd wake up, you know what you'd say? I love your tooth that sticks out right there. And I'm like, oh, that's hard to believe. <laughs> that's really hard to believe. But then it was like over and over again. He just kept pouring his love. I love your nose. Wesley, it looks like my nose. <laughs> You know, he's Jewish. He has a big nose. <laughs> yeah. So he said, Leslie, I love your nose. It's like my nose. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I look like the father. I'm telling you, though, these things were, like, real. I, I'd never want uh, years ago, 10 years ago, I would never have drawn attention to my nose or my teeth because I was so, I hated them. I thought they were ugly. Like, oh, don't look at me. It's like my imperfection. But after the father loving and loving and loving and loving, it's like, whoo, I love my smile. I love my nose. I love my face. I love my eyebrows. I love my hair. I love everything about me because he made me that way. And insecurity just gets broken off, guys. It doesn't even matter anymore because you're so overwhelmed. You look in the mirror in the morning and you're like, Beautiful, handsome, strong, truly. And it's not just self-talk. The Father is truly saying those things about you. Yeah. 
Guys, this is real. If you want depression to leave, let the Father love you. If you want anxiety to leave, let him love you. If you want uh, fear to leave, let the Father love you. If you want loneliness to leave, let the Father love you. When, when Craig got up and he was sa- sharing a little bit about that lonely time where he was saying, Father, meet me here. There are times like that in our lives where God does take away people because he wants to meet with us. He wants to love us. There was a time, I got a sickness in Haiti called chikungunya. I was bit by a mosquito, and I became three in the 3% group of people who the doctor said I would never be healed. I was in a wheelchair. I was bedridden, and, and every doctor I talked to said I would never get up and walk again. I was in excruciating pain from my shoulders down, and there was no medication, no cure, no vaccine. There still isn't. And there's 3% people who get this sickness that end up like I did, either just lifelong bedridden. I was in bed for seven months with no end in sight, having to be helped to the bathroom. My mom would feed me, and I would cry in bed. And even if I laid completely still, there was pain just coursing through my body. If I tried to move, it felt like all my bones were being broken. Shikungunya means to be contorted with pain. That's what the literal meaning of that word is. And I would lie there. And, of course, there wasn't some people who could just be with me all day, every day. There were large, large amounts of time that I was there by myself, lying in bed in pain. And I felt so depressed. I felt so alone. And I'm like, God, why aren't you healing? I've seen you heal people. I've seen you heal people in Haiti. I've seen you heal people in Brazil. What, you don't love me? What, you don't love me? I have no value here. I'm just lying on this bed. I can do nothing. I have no value. I have no worth. You know what the father spoke to me six months into it? And I was crying. I, I, wa- I literally wanted to die because of the pain and because I couldn't do anything. Like l- people had to serve me. I had to have someone make me all my meals. My mom's a saint that she is making my meals for me, even feeding me at times because of pain. I was weeping, and I said, God, I can't do this for the rest of my life. There's no point. You know, I had just been a missionary for years. I'd been a missionary traveling, serving. You know what the Father said to me in that moment? He said, Wesley, what you do does not make you important. What you do does not make you important. Who you are makes what you do important. Who you are makes what you do important. We've had it shifted our whole life. We thought that what we do, the job that we have, how much money we make, the talents that we have, the gifts that we have, we think that those things make us important or valuable or worthy of attention and love. But God sees it a different way. He says who you are makes whatever you do important. So as a son or a daughter, you could be someone clean in a bathroom for a living for the rest of your life. And that would be the most valuable thing you could do because you are a son or a daughter of the most high God. So he, I'm lying on this bed with not, not able to do anything. And he says, you're valuable to me right here. I love you more than I've ever loved you right here in this moment. 
You could not be more valuable to me right now than any time you were on the mission field, any time you were serving the, the orphans and the addicts. I love you just as much right now when you're lying in bed and can't do anything for me. And I wept. I wept in the love of God for me. And there were so many times of that loneliness creeping in where I just felt so alone. No one could relate. No one was there. And, you know, the Father met me time and time and time again. Did we have his full attention at all times? Whether you're in a crowd of people or you're by yourself, you have his full attention, and it's good. It's loving. It's kind. He wants to pour out. As you can see, God healed me August 15th, 2015. <laughs> he told me to get up and go running and heal me while I run. So I, I hobbled outside, and as I hobbled, my body was healed within a block. And I ran a mile and testified to everybody on the street, crying and screaming on the streets of New York, God heals me! I jumped into a UPS truck. That's, that's just a side note, but I'm running, and I'm so excited that God just brought me out of a wheelchair. I literally jumped into a moving UPS truck. There were two guys. One guy was sitting on the steps. He's like, whoa, what are you doing? And I'm like, God, I was in a wheelchair this morning, and God just healed me. He healed my body. I was never supposed to walk again. You know what happened? That guy sitting on the, the stairs, he burst into tears, and he said, this morning, I asked God. I'm a backslidden Christian. This morning, I asked God, if you're real, prove it to me today. And he said, and here you are jumping into my UPS truck. And I said, oh, that's awesome. And I jumped and ran away because <laughs> I was so excited. That's the father. Do you know how much he loved that man? That he even allowed me to be sick until a certain day. August 15th, 2015, he healed me. And I happened to go out running and I happened to be compelled by the glory of being healed to jump into a UPS truck where one man had been praying that morning and saying, God, if you're real, show it to me today. He loved him that much. That is the love of our Father, guys. That is the love of our Father. He goes to extreme measures to love us. Extreme measures. He's so good. He's so good. Oh, the f I'm going to just share this one last thing because I know we're getting late and we're going to get to lunch soon. I want some response or see what, I don't know what we're going to do after this. But um, the first guy, when I started running and I was healed, I started freaking out, right? I felt the pain leave my body from my feet to my head and I started jumping up and down, screaming, crying. And I see this guy ahead of me, and I thought, i got to go testify. Like, this is amazing. So I go running up behind this guy, and the back of his T-shirt says, Hellbound. And I'm like, oh, yes. This is the first guy. Like, thousands of people have been praying for me to be healed. The first guy I'm going to tell I got healed to is a guy that says, Hellbound. Yes. So I run up to him. He's probably in his 50s, late 40s, 50 years old. And I'm crying, flailing my arm. I didn't want to stop doing this because this used to hurt a lot, like I was breaking bones. So I'm just going like this, running. And uh, he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, we're in New York. So he's like, well, who is this crazy lady? You know, you can meet anyone in New York. 
So I run up to him, and he's like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, no, you, you know, I was in a wheelchair this morning, and God just healed me. And he's looking at me like, you are crazy. He did not believe a word that was coming out of my mouth. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, listen, do you have any pain in your body? He said, yeah, I have a uh, lifelong injury in my shoulder. I can't lift my arm above here. And I said, okay, God's going to heal you right now to show you that he loves you, that he's real. And he's like, all right. I'm like, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah. So I was so excited about my own healing. I literally didn't have words. I'm just like rapid fire talking. So I said, Jesus, heal him. That's all I said. You know, sometimes we think we have to have these long prayers. No. Jesus, heal him. All of a sudden, his arm just goes like this. And so then all of a sudden, he's like, starts crying. He goes, wait, hold on. What happened to you this morning? And he said, oh, you got to tell me about this. So I preach the gospel to him. I write down a church, and I keep running. This is the God that we serve. You know what happened? That guy wasn't even from the town I was in. He had come randomly, felt, got up in the morning, felt to go visit a friend he hadn't seen in 10 years, went to the guy's house. The guy wasn't home, so he started walking, just to walk, to pass time before his friend got home. He said he literally had just started walking, and then all of a sudden I come, this crazy woman comes running up behind him. This is the God that we serve, guys. He loves, and he loves with extreme measures, and he starts with us. If we don't realize he loves us that much, then we won't be able to preach the gospel as good news. We won't. We'll, pre we'll preach a gospel of like, come to church, do some good things, add these things to your life. When you're loved by God, you're like, you gotta have it. This is the best freedom I've ever tasted in my life. And you'll be motivated as a trailblazer You'll be fueled. Your passion will be fueled by his love. Sometimes we think, oh, those that receive God's love are just sitting in a room all day doing nothing, just like, God loves me. You know what the truth is? Those who are most loved by God and filled with his love are going to be compelled to do mighty things for him. <laughs> It fills them up so much, and they don't get burnt out because they're not doing it for the approval of man. They're not doing it to receive something from it. They're filled already, so they're overflowing. You can't contain it. You literally can't contain it. If you find a place in you that's like, I'm dry, I'm, I'm, I'm empty, uh, tap into the source, drink. Say, Father, what do you love about me? Let him love you, and then go out fueled by the love of the Father to beckon others to come into this love. We got to break out of our orphan mindsets, guys. You got to let God show you where you're functioning, where you're living, where you're thinking like an orphan. Let him love you. Let him love you. It starts there. Sai, do you have anything you want to add? thinks he doesn't. All right, let's let's pray then. Why doesn't everybody stand up? We're going to just pray. We're going to pray for an impartation, revelation of the spirit of adoption, sonship.